Literary Disco, Choose Your Own Adventure. On today's episode, we head back to the good old 1980s, an era of Russian submarines, <laughs> whale activism, and Choose Your Own Adventure books. Specifically, we read Choose Your Own Adventure number six, Your Codename is Jonah. And since it's a spy-themed Choose Your Own Adventure, we thought we'd start with a spy-themed bookshelf revisit. Todd, Julia, and I will each talk about our favorite spy-related work of literature. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong, and in the disco with me, as always, essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Good morning, Mr. Strong, and good morning Hello. to you, Ms. Pistel. <clears throat> it is afternoon hey where I am. I've been awake for eight hours. I have been awake, let's see, it's 10.41 a.m. while we record this. I woke up at 9.17. I got out of bed at 9.48, checked to see if we were still recording at 10. I've now brushed my teeth. I read two pages of the book that we're going to discuss. I started Choose Your Adventure, read the whole thing. Done. Well, you just went to one ending, which only took you three pages. Which, that is what I got shot. To me. I, we'll get we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we didn't decide how we were going to read this Choose Your Own Adventure. Well, so I'm very curious because everybody the has their own right. Yeah. And I went. I, I read it as I read it as a kid, which was um, with unsatisfied uh, derision at every time I died <laughs> tragically. Yes. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, before we get to that, do you guys have a spy-related book that you want to talk about? Well, I'm sure Todd, you've I do. spent a lifetime Todd, reading go spy books. I've got so. a ton. So I, I actually picked two things spy related. So for those of you who don't know, in Listenerville, I wrote uh, five books about the TV show Burn Notice. I wrote five original novels based on the TV show. So I have a wealth of knowledge about spies. Some would say too much knowledge about spies. I'm pretty much <laughs> a CIA um, agent, I would you're guess. You're a spy spy. Yeah, I'm a spy spy. I'm not much of a man's man or a Jew's Jew, but I'm a spy's spy. Um, so I picked actually two books. Uh, the first is the spy book that I have most recently quite enjoyed, and I think it's one that you two will probably rush right out to get. It is the Counterinsurgency Field Manual put out by the United States Army and Marine Corps. Um, written by General David H. Petraeus and Lieutenant General James F. Amos and Lieutenant Colonel John A. Nagel with a new introduction by Sarah Sewell. Um, it is helpful, I think, to terrorists because it tells you <laughs> exactly what uh, we're going to do to you as insurgent, uh, counterinsurgents and also just as um, you know, American agents in the field. So let's say, for instance, um, and you can get this at your local Barnes and Noble. Um, let's go to page. Hold on, what is this published for? <laughs> I really don't understand. It's 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 literally the manual on how to be a spy uh, for America. Uh, what the and... back says is, when the U.S. military invaded Iraq, it lacked a common understanding of the problems inherent in counterinsurgency <laughs> it campaigns. Everything. It had neither studied them nor developed doctrine and tactics to deal with them. It is not unfair oh to God. say that in 2003, most army officers knew more about the U.S. Civil War than they did about counterinsurgency. This volume was written to fill that void, as though the Iraqis and the people in Afghanistan would have no idea it was out there. <laughs> um, so let's, uh, I'll give you a little sample of uh, some of the electric pros in the counterinsurgency uh, manual here. Let's go to page, I have, a, I have some marked pages. This is stuff that I used for research, apparently. Uh, page 242 of the Counterinsurgency Manual, um, Section 7, Subsection 16. Cultural awareness has become increasingly important competency for small unit leaders. Perceptive junior leaders learn how cultures affect military operations. They study major world cultures and put a priority on learning the details of the new operational environment when deployed. Here's the best part. Different solutions are required in different cultural contexts. Effective small unit leaders really? adapt to new situations, realizing their words and actions may be interpreted differently in different cultures. Like all other competencies, cultural awareness requires self-awareness, self-directed learning, and adaptability. Let's, let's move to... Um, wow. <laughs> there will not be a McDonald's. Oh, here's Appendix B. Uh, social network analysis and other analytical tools. Religion, race, and ethnicity overlay. 
Religion, race, and ethnicity issues often contribute to conflicts. Religious... <laughs> See, the fact that, that this book needed to be written is, like, depressing. Yeah, like, and in, in it's, itself, you know? it's exhaustive. Like, there's maps on how to attack, and, um, there, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of fascinating um, lists of things. There, it's, um, if you want to learn how to be a spy and to foment counterinsurgency... I can't recommend enough the counterinsurgency field manual put out by the United States Army and Marine Corps, available on the shelves at your local Barnes and Noble. And then I, the, the, my my novel that I picked um, is a book I absolutely loved um, when I was a kid, and then I read it again about a decade ago, and it's a book called The Brotherhood of the Rose by David Morrell, and the subhead which I did not remember last week or else I would have mentioned it is orphans blood brothers assassins Great. <laughs> those are three like really exciting things going on there yeah. yes um it's so it's about two brothers well obviously um orphans. that are orphans and they are basically and and become assassins they're raised to be assassins and then oh, the man right. that trained them into the art of being a uh, an agent uh, is sent out to kill them or is desperately trying to have them killed. Um, and it's written, David Morrell, if you're not familiar with him, um, he's the best-selling author of fiction like this, but he wrote the book um, that became Rambo. He wrote uh, First Blood, uh, which became Rambo. Um, and a very nice man. I met him apparently on November 9th, 2002, which is when he signed this book to me that said, To Todd. A pleasure to meet you. So we had a very close bond. Great. Personal wow, your best connection. Friend. I think of him like, like a... Assassin. I think of him as a man who will eventually come to kill me. Um, but it's it's sort of a more literary um, assassin spy novel because it's dealing with the um, mysterious relationship between the spy master and Elliot uh, and the these two brothers, Chris and Saul, who are raised... It's, it, it takes in Philadelphia... And they're they're raised by this um, you know this mysterious man who treats them like a son, but basically is turning them into uh, to killing machines. And they span the world, killing people and dealing with um, complex issues of espionage. And so I, I loved this book when I was a kid. I read it again a decade ago when I met David Morrell, and it it uh, it holds up pretty well. It's it's not it's not you know a thriller in the oh my god they're running around the streets blowing shit up. It's more of a psychological story. Unlike, say, for instance, the Counterinsurgency Field Manual by the U.S. Army and Marine Corps. Let's flip to the chapter on rules of engagement, shall we? No, it's okay. We can. We We're can good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to reveal any more state secrets. Right, like yeah. Religion could contribute to war. I sure hope that book doesn't fall into the hands of people who could use it against us. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Here's a question. Has anybody actually ever been raised to be an assassin? I feel like that's always in movies and books. There's, like, some some poor kid who's, like, a trained killer from birth. Oh, Has it ever ha- actually what's happened? What's that amazing uh, Natalie Portman movie? Yeah. What's it called again? The Professional. Yes. Such a good movie. Yeah. Great movie. Or La Femme Nikita. But I just feel like yeah. it's always this trope. But like, the idea of, you know, the, the kid who's the, the killing machine. Even Dexter, you know. Trained. Even Dexter. Well, it is... Not in the United States or maybe even Western Europe, but you know, in Sub-Saharan oh, Africa. Yeah, yeah. Right. quite a few, oh, quite so a few. <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't think. Well, who knows the secret history of America? But um, if it were happening currently, that person would eventually leave their job, and then they'd be on Oprah and saying, "I have something to say." They'd have a memoir out. I don't. It has to be a you know a. It has to be a trope because we'd know about it if it were happening in real life, right? It would. It seems. Would we? would we? Yeah, I just want to find out about the like CIA school of you know kids being. You have right. spy kids. The the movies like. There's always this idea that like the government has a secret program and kids are somewhere in a school learning how to be amazing spies. Like, I would love it if that were. Actually well, I do know people that were kids recruited. Are too dumb. They're kids. They're yeah. stupid. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know people who, in college, were recruited by the FBI and and you know things like that. Right. Like that actually happens. I had a friend in college who uh, I think their father was somehow worked in the government, 
and someone came to them like in a classroom and said, oh, we need to talk to you. And they pulled them out and said, and th they could have been lying about this now in retrospect because they were just a dumb frat guy uh, <laughs> and was like, are you interested in a career in the FBI? And he was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And they're like, we well, need to stop doing this and this and this. The more I think about it, it more feels like this dumb fucking drunk is that his parents just sent sent the dude in a suit over to say you stop smoking weed. Totally. If you want to join the FBI, you can't be doing bong hits every five minutes. So you know where I think kid spies are. I would believe. I do believe that. Absolutely. Young teenagers must be being recruited and trained. Recruited, so, you right. know, that's a, that's the way that Spy Kids is manifested. Well, they're turned, right? Because they're they're arrested for something. They're like, you could either right. spend 30 years in prison or work for us. Right, right. And it's like, all right, I'll work for you. Right. Yeah. All right, my spy novel is an, an amazing book. Um, I don't know if either of you have read The Untouchable by John Banville. No. no. Um, I read this while we were at Bennington. It was re recommended to me uh, by one of my teachers there. And it's really, really good. It's probably, I mean, it's its not an action-packed spy novel by any means, but it opens with, um, it's, it's in the form of a memoir. So it's first person, and he has just been exposed. He's, it's an English, actually he's Irish, but he's working for the English government as a spy. Um, but the opening of the book is him being exposed in present day as having been a double agent for the hmm. Russians. And so he's being disgraced. He's had his knighthood revoked. So he's publicly disgraced at, at the opening of the book. And then, uh, so he starts writing in his journal. And what we're reading is, you know, his memoir, essentially. Um, and the character is um, really fascinating because he was a double agent as working for the Russians while still working for the English government. Uh, but he's also gay and hid that his entire life. So you have this, like, doubling of the spy identity it's like he's pretended to be straight his entire life he's he's also he's irish and poor and he's pretended to be english and you know of upper class in order to infiltrate the spy ring of the english government um it's it's an incredible book that like sort of you know goes really it really it's multi-layered about like the question of mm -hmm. the self you know and what would do you know who he doesn't even really know like who the core version of him is anymore because he spent his entire life passing as all these different things you know um he was married for a while he has kids but then he also clearly had all these gay relationships he was you know he believes in the english government in some ways but then he also is a marxist so he's helping the russians in other ways and it's just it's a really beautiful complicated spy novel and um you know to me i mean there's not a lot of action there's not a lot of gunfights or whatever uh in fact you know being a spy is kind of presented as like paper shuffling and uh, you know, it's, it's more about human connections, which I think in real life mm -hmm. probably being a spy is more about. Um, and just the lies that we tell other people and ourselves. Um, so it's a really, really, really fascinating You know, my, my experience just sort of anecdotally talking to people who work for the CIA or the FBI or things like that is, you know, there's not a lot of gunplay. <laughs> you know, it's, it is mostly a, you know, a desk job in most cases or, you know, done on the computer. Mm -hmm. It's the, that cloak and dagger shit. You know, they don't need to go send humans into the field anymore. They can go have a drone go look at that stuff, you know. So, I mean, obviously, when Banville wrote that book, it was it was time. But it sounds like it's sort of in the John le Carre um, vein. And Banville, you know, Banville now writes crime novels under a different name, under uh, Benjamin Black. Cool. Do you guys want to hear a brief spy story before Julia tells yeah, her spy story? So, my mom, who it's easy to talk about now because she's dead, my mom used to always <laughs> tell us, oh, I met a man online, and he's a spy, and um, we're dating, and I'm flying him out to our house. And invariably, she'd meet some dude on the internet, he'd fly out to Palm Springs and stay with her, he'd take photos of all of her bonina, and then leave in the night. <laughs> so it was just always, she was always... Meeting a spy or an operative online who she then started dating. And so it was, It was of course, you know, my mom was crazy. But there was this one dude that she was dating, and uh, his name was Hutch. And she'd always say, oh, Hutch is in town because the cruise ship, which is his cover, is docked in San Pedro. So he's going to come see me for the weekend. And I'm like, 
so wait a minute. He's a spy, and he's told you that his uh, cover is that he's on a cruise ship? She says, yeah, he, he plays clarinet on a cruise ship. That's his cover. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so she tells the story to all of us, to me, to my sister, my brother, all of her friends. Oh, my friend the spy, Hutch. And so, you know, yeah, she... And, and this is why America's... Wait, how is he spying on people from the orchestra pit on a cruise ship? Yeah, well, that, she's really keeping it under wraps. That, that's the best <laughs> cover, you know? The, there might be something going on in the baked Alaskan they're serving at midnight. You can really keep up on the old ladies playing bingo, you know? So, for a decade, my mom has my friend Hutch, the spy, yeah. who plays clarinet. And I'm doing an imitation of my mom's voice. It's lost on all the listeners, but that's how she talked. And it's weird, sort of halting voice just like this um so one day my mom calls and she says oh i'm so upset hutch died and i said oh you know i'm terribly sorry she says well the washington post really did a great write-up on him and i'm like why did the washington post do a write-up on this guy and she said well he was a master spy and i'm like what the fuck is she talking about and so I say, well, what was his full name? And so she gives me his full name, and it was like Bob Hutch Hutchinson. And so, you know, I go to the WashingtonPost.com, and sure enough, there's this giant article about this You're guy, lying. Hutch, who was like the, the chief counterterrorism expert in Bosnia for the United States during the Bosnian War. And I'm like, holy fucking shit! <laughs> and... And the reason why wars go on forever is because our top intelligence guy is like, you know who I'm going to tell about my secret life? I'm going to tell the gossip columnist for the Palm Springs Desert Sun, who I'm fucking on the weekends, that I'm a spy. And then even said that, you know, for many years he played clarinet on cruise ships as a cover. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's a great story. I like all your stories where you turn out to be a jerk at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my favorite Todd stories, where Todd was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) okay well so i have a weird confession and i hope it's not true but i was really thinking about this and i don't think i've ever read a spy novel whoa i like not one i have perpetually on my on my nightstand um tinker Tailor, soldier spy and the quiet american but i've just never gotten around to reading them oh the quiet american is one of the best books i've ever read in my entire well, life i, I will have to get to book. it but like i i seriously could not come up with one thing and i am ashamed um and then i was like well maybe spy versus spy and i was like that's a comic i even haven't read i just <laughs> pretend to read it <laughs> so you got nothing is what you're saying but finally no 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 <laughs> But finally, I realized, um, and I, I hate to do this because I did a kid's book last week, but this is the only thing I can think of, is uh, one of my favorite books when I was a kid was Harriet the Spy, which is not really a spy novel, oh, yeah. but um, it's a great book because it's about, um, uh, it's like emotional spying. She emotionally spies on all her friends, and then she writes down their feelings, and then they discover her. It's basically about journalistic ethics. Huh. Um, <laughs> so, it really is. Is it just one book or a series? Woodward and Bernstein early? I think it was just one book. And then they made a I'm movie out sure. of it, right? Yeah, they did with Michelle yeah. Trachtenberg. Right. Um, and Rosie O'Donnell. But I remember loving it. I haven't read in a long time, and we just came up with this theme like an hour ago, so I would have tried <laughs> oh, to... Oh, great. Reveal the wizard behind the, behind the curtain. <laughs> the, the... Yeah, the wizard is Gmail. Guys, <laughs> what are we doing? Guys, are we still recording? Because I needed 15 more minutes to finish uh, reading. <laughs> The truth of literary disco. We just got our Choose Your Own Adventure books yesterday. Uh, uh, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so th- so that's my revisit is Harriet the Spy. But I really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to bone up. Like, I, I don't think there's ever a genre or a subject we've come up with where I really suddenly felt a huge gap in my knowledge like this so i'm ashamed well hold on a minute julia i just realized something extraordinarily upsetting what i named a character after you in a spy novel yeah i didn't read it (laughs) what's the character's name is it julia pastel or yes (laughs) what is the what's the character it's full-on just julia pastel yeah, I love that you never Julia, had this. Haven't you like Julia your... titled the book for fuck's sake? I forgot all about What's the title this? of the book? The book is your uh, name is Julia Pastel. The Reformed. 
reformed. The reformed. We she titled it while we were eating at a deli in Palm Desert one day uh, when she was coming to visit, and so I put her in as a uh, as a character. Don't tell she, me what I do. I want to read it. I want this to be my first spy novel experience as myself, you know, as a victim <laughs> or assassin. I even, I even put you in your right city and everything. This is very upsetting. You know what's interesting about this to me? I'm wondering if this is a generational thing. Because, like, spy, yeah. spy stuff was so huge in the 80s. Like, that mm-hmm. was the era. I mean, obviously, it was the Cold War was, like, when spy stuff was really... And so I feel like... When I was a kid growing up, everything was spy. Like, we, right. we felt like there was always mm-hmm. spies around every corner. And the, and so, like, I, I remember all, like, I even played a role-playing game called Top Secret SI, where you got to be a spy against the Russians. And, like, you know, the movies, like Red Dawn, of course, where we talked about, like, all the Russian fear. Julia, you probably missed a lot of that, you know? I mean, you were... Did, right. yeah. yeah. And so I wonder if it just doesn't ever... If it just didn't hold the kind of fascination that it did for me and Todd. Yeah, because to me... Still, all this, like, Russians, and it all feels foreign. It feels like a strange fantasy world that didn't actually occur. Plus, you know, it is so gendered, especially Mm. when, you know, like, when I was seven or eight, you know, you guys get your code name is Jonah, and I was reading horse books. So, (laughs) you know, by the time I got through the horse books, spies were over. You know what I mean? Uh, I want to read about a horse that was spying for the U.S. government. That's like the, the ultimate kids mashup book. Is just like a spying horse who goes undercover. God, come on, guys, this is brilliant. It would appeal to boys and girls. It would just be a horse that In goes. The cavalry? Yeah, it's a horse that goes undercover. For, you know, racing for the Russians or something, and has to gather information from other horses. Come on. Worst no, ideas have been be, pitched. It needs to be in the cavalry. It needs to be like a World War One situation. Oh my God, I love it. Spy horse. <laughs> we got it, guys. Spy horse. No, I, I, think, I think the Russian idea is better. Yet now, Black Stallion. Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh, The Choose Your Own Adventure books were started by a guy named Edward Packard. And apparently he uh, based the entire, or the concept came from telling bedtime stories to his kids. I'm amazed how often that's the case. You know, that people are, Mm -hmm. I feel like Winnie the Pooh. Like, so so many great children's books start with parents just trying to get their kids to go to sleep. Um, But he basically realized that his kids could, um, you know, if he made it an interactive story, his kids were way more interested in what he was telling them. So he decided to try and get a publisher, and it took him years. Like, I guess his first attempts in the 1970s were uh, thwarted. Nobody wanted to do a choose-your-own-adventure. And then he finally got a small publisher, and it sold out like crazy, and eventually Bantam Books picked it up and made it the gigantic juggernaut that we all remember from our childhood. Mm-hmm. Actually, Julia, do you remember this from your childhood? That, oh, that, yeah, yeah. Were these still around? I okay. read them. I mean, they're so 80s to me, but me I guess too. they were still around throughout mm-hmm. the 90s. Um, and I read every iteration. Like, I read these ones, and then I read the Dungeons & Dragons ones. Oh, I didn't know there were and, those. Oh, yeah, the D&D ones are oh, awesome. Because that's pretty much what d So ima- is, right? imagine... Yeah. Yeah, imagine, Ryder, that you're just living your normal life, and then you're dropped into, like, a Dungeons and Dragons game. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke that will land for, like, yeah. nine yeah. people. Well, no, I'm more than that. More than that, I'm sure. I'm more than that. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Wow, Jesus. joke for the two people um, who've seen Dungeon Master. <laughs> for, for Ryder and his brother, That's Shiloh. That's <clears throat> Yeah, there were D and D ones. There was there was like board game based mm-hmm. ones. There's all kinds of shit. I, read I actually them all. just when I was googling about Choose Your Own Adventure, um, they they did a D- DVD interactive one. I mean, I'm surprised. There must be video game versions of this. There must be. Um, I mean, it I mean, well, actually, that's what I was reminded game. of most, just narratively. It was like, oh, this is, feels like all those text based video games from the '80s too. Like mm-hmm. I remember on our Commodore 64, we used to do like I don't know. There were King's Quests. There were all these video games mm-hmm. that were. Or not even that. 
think King's Quest was even later. That was a better game. But there used to be text-based video game or, or computer games where you'd be like, you are in a dungeon. You know, do you go left or right? And it was all sort of the same same time, same notion right. of narrative flexibility. Um, so we decided to read number six, which was something that Todd, you remembered reading this one in particular. I didn't. I don't remember this one. Me I remembered neither. other titles when I saw the list of titles. There were others that I remember. Uh, particularly the haunted house one, I remember. Yeah, which was like number four. I remember that and one. And then the first one, I think I've read the first Choose Your Own Adventure, The Cave of Time. It was. Oh called. yeah, I yeah, that. I remember that one exactly. Time travel yeah. one, which makes perfect sense. And then I remember one too, where you change into different animals. And I think by looking at the list of titles, I think that one was called "You Are a Shark." <laughs> but it's you know you just I just remember being like oh I'm an eagle I can fly what makes you oh, think I'm a that's shark. the one writer it's, I mean it's so subtle <laughs> so basically you're a wonder twin yeah. form of ice giant so, form of eagle your code name is Jonah is a spy themed one also a whale themed one which is yeah. very bizarre <laughs> and so 1980 uh, uh. Let's talk about this book. What did you guys think? It okay, was... Well, um, go ahead, Julia. First of all, okay, so we're, we're going to talk about how we read them. So when I was yes. a kid, the way that I read them was, like, I would, without reading, like, look and see which one was the, would end if I picked it, and then I would pick the other one, which is big-time oh cheating. Totally cheating. Yeah. Uh, yes. So this time I was like, I will be honorable, and within, like, two decisions, I got shot in the face and died. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I became upset, but <laughs> I continued to go, go all the way back to the beginning and um, honorably read through the book, like, four or five different ways. So, I mean, it was obviously really fun. Like, this is completely ridiculous. Like, we must describe the premise. The premise is that there's a humpback whale song that <laughs> no one can decipher and some people think it has a special meaning and some don't and the russian what the hell spies... was it about the 80s and <laughs> whales and humpbacks in particular it was like everybody was worried about the humpbacks going extinct and then we all because remember the star trek yeah oh that was my whatever. favorite star the whole trek plot is about whale songs mm-hmm. and like how whale songs can be interpreted by Humans, it's so well, bizarre that that was like a recurring thing. I think that must have been the period of time where we really sort of distinguished what, you know, how whales speak to one another, perhaps. Yeah, right. I mean, I yeah, I did a little research and found out, but that, that that makes sense. Like, that had to have been in the popular culture of, oh, these beings, we should cage them and keep them in parks. Yeah, I mean, SeaWorld <laughs> hasn't actually been around for that long is something that I remember learning when we went through our blackfish experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, whales. It was a thing. But anyway. We <laughs> and it goes hand in hand with Russian spies. Yeah, not, yes. and, and anyway, really. there's uh, I don't know if you guys experienced any submarines, because I did. <laughs> yeah, I experienced and, oh, yeah. a few. Surprisingly, <laughs> I had a couple submarine submarines. I should know. <laughs> Every time you hit the submarine, it was pretty yeah. bad, though, right? Like, I don't think there was a way out of the submarine situation. I think all endings, no. and there were about four submarine endings, and each one of them, yeah, I did. Yes. So, there was, I had a particular yeah. favorite submarine ending where uh, three people out of presumably an entire boat live, and everyone else dies, but it's all right. You lived. Right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go back to the premise. So, uh, finish well, the premise I, I, there, Julia. You know, it's hard for me to finish the premise, because it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening either. Basically, in the by, by the first three pages, you are a spy being assigned by the U.S. government, the Special Intelligence Group, SIG, of the U.S. government, to figure out whale songs that have been interpreted by a scientist. Who's gone missing. But also, who's gone missing, right? Wait, and guys, then, why don't so we just read the first page? The first sentence alone, the first phrase alone, I thought was like the funniest thing in the world. It is. Six levels below the White House lawn. In Annex U36, you lean back in a big red leather chair in the office of J.J. Aubert, director of the Special Intelligence Group. He glares at you through steel rim glasses from behind a massive oak desk and taps his blackbriar pipe on the rim of a crystal bowl. Have you ever heard the sounds of the humpback whales? Aubert asks you. <laughs> They're like organ music. Beautiful and eerie. 
That's me, by the way, doing uh, doing <laughs> doing writers, uh, homeless dude. You got yeah, to back folks. into my. <laughs> oh, this is Hobo yeah, Johnny or whatever. Hobo John. <laughs> Hobo Johnny is now in charge of the running CIA. the White House intelligence group. So uh, I'll continue, and then Ryder, you'll do the letter, okay? Uh huh. You reply. Okay. Obert picks up a letter from his desk. Todd, go for it. From Doctor Claude Dumont in Boston to the President of the United States. Dear Mr. President, <laughs> while tracking humpback whales near Bermuda last month, we recorded whale songs of a type we had never heard before. The whales have a secret, and the new whale song is the key. We are analyzing it with our computers. I'll advise you of our findings as soon as possible. Respectfully yours, Claude Dumont, Director, Center for Marine Studies. If Dumont is correct, Obard says. Obard says. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not to do that part. <laughs> okay, it's okay, keep going. It's important for us to learn the meaning of the new whale songs before anyone else does. For one thing, it will help us find where these whales go when they disappear. What do you mean, you ask? Aubrey chews on his pipe before explaining. At a time when there should be lots of humpback whales off Greenland, where they migrate to in the summer, they seem to disappear completely. Since they can only stay underwater for 30 minutes, we have a mystery. Where do they go? Do you want me to stop? Yeah. That really hurts my voice. How so, did you do that? Yeah, you, it's, it's hard. Hurts well, my voice. Well, that to hurt. To you yeah. It. So, um, yeah. So basically, actually, we haven't really described a choose your own adventure how right. this oh, works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in case anybody's been under a rock since 1979, <laughs> uh, it's a second person book where you are told to flip through different pages. So. As you heard, you, you're given a mystery and an assignment. You got to find out the whale songs, find why the whales are disappearing off of Greenland, or ugh, I don't know. It's so convoluted. But basically, you have a choice at the end of this chapter, which lasts three pages. And it says if you visit Dr. Heinz Klein, turn to page four. If you visit the Center for Marine Studies, turn to page six. And so throughout the book, there are a series of choices like that, usually only two, sometimes three. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes three. Yeah, basically there's usually only two or three choices. And you jump around until you die <laughs> or the story continues. Usually you get kind of Yeah, not die pleasantly. Yeah. The, the best way to die in this, the most painless it seems, is to walk into a room and have someone shoot you in the back of the fucking head. <laughs> yeah. well, but first I, they tell I, you, oh, by the way, you're about to die. Uh, so, Todd, how did you read this book? Did you jump around? Well, the, the first thing? time I read it, I tried to apply my spy knowledge. And I read the book mm-hmm. as I thought the proper spy craft would indicate. So, for instance, mm-hmm. at the bottom of page four, you're given three choices. If you stay and ask to hear the whale songs, you turn to page seven. If you fly to Halifax to track down a man, turn to page eight. If you go to Boston to check out their files on Dr. Claude Dumont, the missing person, you turn to page nine. Well, I know a good spy is going to do some background. So I immediately turned to page nine and started my key investigation into this gentleman. Um, so I went to page nine and I looked at um, the information there. And there was a professor I could go and talk to at the end of looking at the files, or I could talk to the missing person's wife. So I immediately said, well, you got to talk to the wife. The wife knows. So I Ooh. then turned to page 22 after I went and spoke to the wife. Oh, yeah. You had a good – this is a good path that and, you went well, down. Well, I am smart. I was Michael Weston for, for 8,000 pages. Yeah, this was actually the longest version of the book that I read. Everything else was a lot shorter. Um, and so I went and talked to the wife. Yeah, I was going to say this path because I ended up doing a lot of different paths. Mm-hmm. This one kind of leads to the information. The right. Quickest. About what the whales are Exactly. Doing. Some of yeah. them never get to wow. whales. No, some, some of them you just of get them shot in the face. You just get shot so, in the face. So, on 22, you talk to the wife. She gives you a lot of key information. Um, and at the bottom of that, uh, basically at the, at the bottom of page 22, you find out that either the whale songs are a front for the KGB, which plays a big role in the book, or that the U.S. government is hiding something from us. And so, if... I think that this could mean a threat or an opportunity for the United States. I turn to page 42. If I think this could be a very important event in the history of man, you turn to page 43. I turn to page 43 because I feel like it could be an important thing in the movement of man. And then I go on. You know, so there's a, there's, you know, there's literally uh, 
40 possible endings. That one actually ended up with me living at the end and becoming a great friend of the humpback whale. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's yeah. Let's talk about the because there's there's sort of two different versions. There's there's a couple different ways to end. There's the death, right. right? But then there's also lots of really just weirdly unsatisfying <laughs> oh my endings God, yeah. where it's just like. And now you have respect for animals. <laughs> like there, there's, it, it, which is such a bizarre thing. This book has a because I kept thinking like you, Todd. Like, oh, it's I gotta choose the good spy right. thing, but really no. I didn't. And like whenever I was like, oh, I'm gonna tell the truth or uh, stand up for the United States, it didn't. What you're the the sort of moral stance of the book is choose to help the right. whales. So whenever you choose to help the whales, it kind of works out for you. Um, and I started realizing that when I kept choosing the action paths and dying. <laughs> like whenever I chose to yeah. like jump in a Ferrari or you know bust out my gun, which I love. Like, I love when they describe the cars yes. and the guns exactly. Like you yeah. jump into your Triumph Firebird AG forty seven. Like who gives a crap? But, okay, true. I knew that it. You know, at ten years old, I I probably that's what I would have cared about most you know it's like you bust out your luther walter pk 47 whatever um but i noticed that if you chose to to the peaceful route or the more personal human route um you ended you sometimes you know worked out you got the information and you saved the united states government um or you just sort of became a friend yeah. of the humpback and like my favorite was one let me let me see if i can and can find it um where it says something it says something to the effect of, and now you can always look a humpback yes. whale in the eye. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was, that that was my favorite. That was by far the best. <sighs> Is that? While you're looking uh, for that one, um, while we're on the subject, uh, the, my favorite of the choices, like some of the choices, so here on page 87, the choice is, if you try to swim to the beach, turn to 107. If you swim for the raft, turn to page 108, which is completely normal, like how I remember mm-hmm. the books. But on page 86... Here are your choices. So the line right before the choices: get up in the bow, or we will blow you up out of the. Or blah, blah, starting over. Get up in the bow, or we will blow you out of the water. A voice calls in halting English. Here are the choices. If you follow the instructions, <laughs> turn to page eighty-three. If you pursue the only possible escape route by diving into the cabin and then running your boat directly towards shore, turn to page eighty-seven. Like that could have been a whole other chapter. Right. Like why did they cram it into a direction like that? <laughs> okay, here's here's the idea that I love. Okay, so uh, you find out some information, and you I don't, I don't know how you get here, but basically you your Dumont or no who was it Obard your your guy who sent you on the mission tells you operation canceled. Accord reached with Russians. Whales to be fully protected. Details on your return. I'm glad you tell Lindstrom because now if I ever meet a whale, I won't be ashamed (laughs) to look it in the eye. (laughs) And then, and then another one where you're swimming to the beach and you almost drown and you get saved by a whale and the whale throws you onto the beach and it says, ends with, you look around and see that you are far... You look around and see that you are far down the beach, only a few dozen yards from shore. A moment later, you pull yourself up and lie exhausted in the sand, forever a friend of the humpback whale. The end. Well, and that, those, those, that's an ending that is related to the most interesting graphic in the book. And this is actually, so I put on my own personal Facebook, for those of you who aren't Facebook fans, friends with me, and, and don't try to friend me just so you can look at my vacation photos, they're boring. Um, of a, there's a choice you have to try and swim off, swim from a boat to an island. And it's a very interesting graphic. It's on page 107. And your choices are course A, course B, or course C. And so there's a map of the currents that are in the ocean and and the directions you can swim. And you're you're caught in basically the riptide, apparently, as as you're out there. And so looking at this, I'm like, all right, so... Knowing what I know about being swept out to sea, which is yeah. just what I remember from being a child and my mother screaming, get out of the water, you'll be swept out to sea. I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to take path C, which will actually have me perpendicular to, and I might just, it, I spent way too much time trying to figure out how to swim, not to die. No, you should pick path C. That that was the yeah, correct one. That was the correct path. That is the one where you live. That ends where you, you, the whale right. saves you. Yeah. Well, and there's two ones where the whale saves you. Path C, not to ruin the book for anybody. <laughs> path C. <laughs> oh, we're and, ruining the book. And a million path times B. Over, but there's forty different endings. In, in so. path B, 
Um, the whale doesn't actually deliver you to the shore as it does on Patsy, but it it sort of uh, it guides you in a way. And it inspires you. Yeah, it inspires you. And it ends a moment later, looking out over the misty sea, you see a spout of water, then another further away. You hold your hand up in salute. Do the whales know that their song gave you the strength to make it to shore? Somehow, you feel sure of it. <laughs> um, all right, so in the great tradition of me crapping all over all things fun and childish, um, this book sucks. Oh, it's I horrible. Say, like, it's horrible. I find it, but I mean, I found the Choose Your Own Adventure. I was rem- I, as much as I remembered them as a kid, and I did read a lot of them as a kid, they're deeply unsatisfying. Yeah. Yes. Like, they are not fun experiences. It's like, it's stressful and, <laughs> and you die. arbitrary. It's very arbitrary. And like, you keep thinking, if I make the right choice... I will finish this narrative, or I will get somewhere that will make me feel good about... And it never happens. No. Like, even the best endings of this book... Uh, let me read the ending of 106, which is... Oh, that's what uh, I'm a, a satisfying yes. ending, where you actually achieve the mission or whatever. And it says, the last paragraph is, You feel good about what you have accomplished. Life should be good for a while, but you wonder how long you will be around to enjoy it. The end. Yeah. What?! Like I didn't get any prize. I don't. I mean, yeah, you win some money. You make the. But that is the. That is the. I mean, there's like a deep, uh, like, philosophically, something's going on with Edward Packard. I feel like, <laughs> or is it just that when you have forty endings, none of them can be satisfying? Right. And he's trying to make them all equal. Like it is. It's a dark book. I mean, it's the best thing you can do is feel good about whales, and you come to some sort of realization about the importance of nature. Okay, that's wonderful, but. I just feel like as a kid, I don't know, I, I, I guess what I, I'm remembering is that I always liked the promise of Choose Your Own Adventure books. I never actually liked the experience. Yeah, I agree. I, I remember feeling that way, too. And I also, so ideally, and this is what I was trying to do when I started, I was thinking maybe that, like, it, unless, if I didn't pick a, a very stupid course, which I ultimately did, but even <laughs> when I went back and tried to do it again, I was like, maybe I will only read one time and then we can see how our different stories line up mm-hmm. but there was no right. way that one choosing one adventure is in any way satisfying like the real experience of no. reading the book is frustration and going back right right you know which what I mean? is horrifying <laughs> that, is just, uh, that sucks yeah unlike a video game which is you know <laughs> yeah my review of this book is like a video game but worse uh, because in a video right. game you're pursuing you're making choices and you're pursuing paths but they take you into some hopefully somewhat deeper reality but this really doesn't plus in a video game plus in a video game unless it's a text-based game which those don't exist anymore in a video game you have the enjoyment of the visuals Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like you're actually getting to watch your character or some kind of you're enjoying the game the process of like hitting buttons and whereas this is the only satisfaction is narrative like plot based you know there's nothing about the prose or you're not attached to any characters you don't care so the whole thing is about like what's going to happen next and if what's going to happen next feels arbitrary and dissatisfying, what is the point? Like, Well, I think also, you know, I read this book when I was 10. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine when I was 10. Well, I don't know. I was reading somewhat advanced when I was 10. But I, I think what my, re- my recollection of the books is that I really loved reading them. But I can't imagine that I was satisfied for very long if I was also reading more advanced stuff. Because... I was I was one of those readers who kept my fingers in all the possible directions so that yeah. I could go back and, and find them. The The prose itself is horrible. I mean, the, the book doesn't make any sense at all. No. But I think yeah. the the interesting thing about the books from a child's perspective, when, when I was 10 or 11 or 12, I probably wasn't reading these when I was 12, but maybe I was, um, is that they're in second person. When do you ever yeah. read anything in second person when you're, you know, until you start reading Laurie Moore when you're in college or something? Right. Yeah. And that's really sort of disconcerting now when I read it because I'm like, I, no, I don't do that. I'd never make that choice. This guy's a <laughs> fucking idiot. Right. He's, he's got the worst also a spy craft. If anyone ever asks him who he is, he's like, I'm a secret agent. My name is Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for the whale. Like, call, so sometimes yeah, you have a choice say, to like, make up another name. Call me by my code name. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is deeply unsatisfying, but I think I, I I don't remember 
like how I read these. I must have read them like on you know when I was just sitting around for fun, you know, versus reading a Stephen King novel when I was a kid, which I read you know for hours on end. Because even at ten or eleven or twelve years old, they couldn't have taken me very long to read one of these things. No, oh God, you just no. flip around and and I think you get exhausted after. Like I mean, I tried to. I was reading this last night and I could only last about. 25 minutes before it was like, oh my god, I've had to flip back and go to, you know, this meeting or get into the car or not with this person. Like, keep trying different paths. And even when I survived or, you know, achieved figuring out what the whale song was, it just wasn't, it didn't, I was like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, and it didn't make me feel like I had mm-hmm. finished anything. So it's just this endless, like, revisiting, which in some ways goes, I mean, that does appeal to the way kids, I think, sometimes read comic books or watch movies. Like, you know, the repeat viewing and repeat reading so in a way i could see that maybe that was part of it as a kid but ultimately i just i just feel like i don't know the best example to me hit when you have this choice of there's guys on a raft (laughs) and you have a choice of shooting at them or running away from them and and i was like oh okay well i will shoot at them and you turn to page 82 and it says you fire and miss twice Okay. And then it says, a man in the raft returns your fire. He can hardly hope to aim his automatic KV-3 rifle from a raft bobbing up and down in the wave, but he makes a very lucky shot. The end. You're like, oh my god, I just got shot in the face. And I didn't do anything. So then then I went back and I was like, okay, I'm going to run away. And then you run away, and in the running away section it says, by a miracle, you haven't been hit. When they start shooting at you, and it's like, wait a minute, I... I ch- both of those p- were equally bad choices that led to equally miraculous moments that either you got shot or you didn't. It's just so arbitrary. I was like, screw yeah, it. Yeah, but you like, know what? Okay, so let me... Well, first of all, I love how curmudgeonly you are being about these stupid books. <laughs> 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 like, this book isn't even trying to be literary. No. So, like, it's fine. It's, no, it's, it's not that it's literary. I guess what I want a is, a, is, like... I mean, I'd like to believe... Okay, what Todd said when he was talking about his reading was that he w- he was trying to pick things based on good spycraft. Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's interesting that it actually did lead somewhere where he got the information. That's kind of cool. I guess I didn't feel that. I felt no. that it was always arbitrary. Well, it was just like, well, it's A or B, and I'm going to choose A, and if I die, I'll go back and choose B. Like, it just felt like it didn't matter. Like, there wasn't yeah. a right or wrong. If there was any right, I guess it's to steer you towards liking whales or loving whales. Like, a lot of the choices that the were choice. positive for the environment. Yeah. No. So, I mean, for me, like, as, as a devil's advocate situation, like, I actually like the randomness. I like that it feels more like hmm. pulling a slot machine. Because can't you okay. imagine a version of this that would be so didactic of teaching kids mm-hmm. right and wrong and don't get in the car yeah. with strangers or whatever? I think that would right. be so, like, crappy and insulting and That's true. Um, just exhausting. But this, the chance that you have at any point that <laughs> someone's going to shoot you in the officer is going to make a lucky shot is what makes right. it fun. And the picture, kids are the picture on page 82, by the way, and someone on my Facebook pointed <laughs> this out, there's a guy shooting you with uh, with an AK or whatever it is, and then there is a very close approximation to Mark Twain sitting behind the man holding an oar. <laughs> <laughs> Upside down. Upside down. <laughs> All right. Uh, can I talk about one of my other favorite moments? There's, a yeah. mo- there's there's an ending. There's a choice where you end up in a raft, stranded with two other people. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what you're away talking to, about. Yes. You know, waiting to get saved. It's on page 105. It really tells you a lot about Edward Packer's mindset, I think. You sit with the others, waiting, rocking, queasy from the motion of the sea, slightly afraid. But you are relieved at having... For the first time in a long time, a chance to simply rest and look up at the sky and think, knowing there will be no ringing of the phone, no knocking on the door. I'm like, what? What kid reading this book who wants to, you know, dart around in a Ferrari and shoot guns, being a spy, is like, like Edward Bagger, like, snuck in this little moment of, like, yeah, it's like... Isn't it nice to not have the phone ring? Or like, no, no 10-year-old boy is reading this going, yeah, I really wanted that, like, peaceful moment break from the daily grind when I'm deserted at sea. What? You're deserted at sea waiting for a helicopter to save you. It's not a moment to sit around and reflect on, you know, the, your stressful day-to-day life. Oh what was going on in that passage? There's a lot of weird little... 
<laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He wrote this in a day, right? Right. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know, though, because I was, as I was reading it, I was like, this is actually, would be hard to do, yeah. like, to figure out how as to go back and forth. Map. Yeah. yeah. Especially um, in an era of typewriters, which is when he was writing right, this, right? right? Like, or like a, a, a word processor that could basically go backwards. Like, that's all he could do. Of that actual really, cutting and pasting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Probably actually, like, his office must just be a wall of printed out pages. And then they'll go here. And then they'll go back to here. It must, I mean, just complicated. Uh, yeah. If yeah. it was just a few straight lines, that I think that would be pretty easy. But there's certain points that it loops back into other stories. So right. that must be mm-hmm. very difficult to not have the information conflict or, you know, to accidentally get stuck in a permanent loop. I, I would love to see it mapped out. So do you guys want to hear a funny side story about this book? And then we can get yes, back I to do. It. So I yeah. ordered my book off Amazon. And in the cover was a child's name. She had signed oh. it. And, oh, God. Uh, but the was name- it me? <laughs> says Todd Goldberg. That would and I would a phone number. I have a child's name on mine too. So mine is so unusual that I googled it and I found this person and I wrote to no. him. No. Oh my god. No way. There's oh only god. one person ever with this name. Uh, so oh. I'm not going to say it cuz I don't want people to harass her, but she hasn't written back yet, but I like it's it's so weird because first this is talk about spy novel like I realize I also have a unique name. Um, the internet knows, like, I learned so much about this person in, like, two seconds. Uh, <laughs> scary. Yeah, but uh, it, it is, I really hope she writes back because I'm, I was just so excited about it. She's did really you tell cool. her that we were doing a show on, on the book? I did, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I, I'll, let, I'll follow up with you guys later um, if, she, if she gets back to me. But. I just Googled my, the, the guy's name on mine. And it's clearly like a kid's signature. It, 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 like I just learned cursive kind of writing, <laughs> uh, um, but I think the name is too generic. So oh, I just googled it. A bunch of different ones popped up. So, but maybe I should. I'm gonna try and find if I can narrow it down because that would be awesome. The, I love that. The only thing of interest on mine is it looks like there's a bite mark on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like an actual incisor right over here. Uh, my person, uh, I found out that she's 40, so she was. Uh, she was born in 1974. So she is, yeah. So she was so six when this book yeah. came out. This yeah. This book was published in 80, I think. Yep. Yeah. That's it. That's it, right. 79. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm yeah, glad you did that. I hope I find her. You know what's really also cool. awesome? In, in the front of the book, um, so normally on books, there's blurbs from the critics and from, um, you know, other authors. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. I love that. And they have instead... Uh, the critics speak, and it's all little kids. So there's Sebastian Stanley, age 10, who says, Sometimes you get attacked by sharks and squid. I went down to Atlantis five times. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> He's so happy about getting attacked by sharks and squid. I love it. Oh, God. Oh, so good. And then I like Anthony Zaccardi, Z- age 11. It was great. I like the idea of making my own decisions. Like, ooh, what's happening in his house? <laughs> it is a really, you know, I'm I'm surprised that it's such a fad and it hasn't become like a well a well done genre, you know, and because and then I, it only it exists in second person. But I think this goes back to, I mean, we talked about this. I think at some point we talked about video games mm-hmm. and the narrative potential of video games, and it's something that. I just don't believe, like, I don't, I don't think people read, I, I think we like the idea of being more active in our entertainment and, like, choosing different endings and making, but the truth is, the, those experiences are not that great. Like, those are, they're not satisfying. Yeah, it's not a so, satisfying like, whenever, narrative. Yeah, whenever, so there's something about being passive in the narrative that is more satisfying, that, like... You know, you allow somebody to tell the story for you. That, I think, is just always going to win. I don't... I mean, we all like the idea, but it, in execution, I just feel like it, it ultimately kind of falls short. And so these books, they you burn through them. And I think as a kid, like, I would... I think I would choose my... Choose your own adventure books based on the cover mm-hmm. and what the subject matter is. Uh, because it'd be like, oh, I get to be a spy! Yeah, that's the one I want. Or I get to be an astronaut, or I get to time travel... 
And that's what I remember, is that excitement. Not anything about the actual story, anything about the narrative or the payoff. Like, it, it's, just, it was, it's just kind of like, I could imagine myself as that. Well, then go imagine it. Like, I don't know well, you know what, this you is You know what the, the, narrative, the narrative problem with the book is simple, which is that, and why you don't see them, I think, for adults, and I'm sure someone's done one as an adult, um, is that you don't want the, the bad consequence of any decision to end up with you being shot in the face. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's how it is, at least in this book is that the consequence of actions here is either you succeed or not that you fail, but that you're murdered. <laughs> like, there's, there's very little gray area. Either you right. win and you help the whales in the United States of America defeat those commie bastards, or someone shoots you in the back of the fucking head or you drown. So that I, it is interesting how they're a little obscure about every death. Yeah. Right? Like, they never say, like, and you're dead. It'll just be like, the sub is racing upon you, you know, racing towards you. It's almost upon you, traveling at full speed! Exclamation mark. Well, yeah. no. On, on so page like, 98, um, I, I'd like to read a brief passage if I could. Uh, you knock three times before the door slowly opens. Yes, answers the chilling voice of a squat, puffy-faced man with slick black hair. What is it you want? <laughs> I've been sent to join you by double I. Come in. We need you. I'm Bolkov. I'm former U.S. agent K3, now working for double I, you reply. Very good. Very good, Bolkov says. You'll be glad to see he's here and ready to give you your next order. He gestures toward another man who stands holding an 8mm Luger. Your next order, he says, is to die. Dun, dun, dun. The end. And I love, you mentioned this earlier, Ryder, but I do love the weird specificity of every gun in every car. Yeah, right? <laughs> There's one point where it says something about a scope that you don't even know you right. have. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like suddenly you have the coupe. Oh, you rush out of the hospital and get into your rented Triumph ER50 coupe. <laughs> one of the worst cars, by the way, that's okay. ever been made. <laughs> oh, and then, then on the same page. With your Quasar high-revolution spotting <laughs> scope. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I had a Triumph and a Quasar. Where did those come from? Yeah, yeah. it's huge fucking pockets. <laughs> I don't know what a Quasar high-revolution spotting scope is, but alright. But then you never have, like, a good gun when you really need it. It's, you know, <laughs> it's like, or a life vest. Yeah, I wanted to, like, pull out a rocket launcher at some point to get the raft with the guys on it. It just never happened. Oh, God. There was a grappling uh, hook. Grappling hooks are big. That was the oh, thing in the 80s, huge. too. I always wanted a grappling hook. Huge. Uh, to launch something up and climb into a window. And then your listening devices. Yeah, I mean, they, they hit the sweet spot of some of the, the, the spy tropes. Really nice. Yeah. There, there is one hopeful sort of ending when you contract viral pneumonia. <laughs> Wait, what? I didn't get that one. Yes. It's on. Uh, let's see is here. that one of the? Uh, there was one where I like got really tired, and then they were like, "Oh, oh, while you were sleeping, we'll solve the mystery." We've forgotten the best one. Did you guys get to the one where you retire and become a marine biologist? Yes. No, yes. I did oh, not. That's the most genius end. I can't believe we didn't bring this up. That's my favorite. It's like you. This is the choice on the bottom of eighty-eight. If you go with Auburn to brief the president, turn to page 90, i.e. be a spy and finish your mission, or <laughs> if you decide to resign and undertake a new career as a marine biologist, turn to page 93. Oh, it's so brilliant because the, 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 what's leading to this choice is the paragraph, uh. you feel torn between your chosen career as a spy and your distaste <laughs> for the human invasion of the cavern of the whales. Oh. I mean, come on, that's so brilliant, like, oh. Uh, just so, guys, yeah, you're, what was the secret of the whale song? Um, that the whales have a cavern that they've discovered, right? That allows them to be—they can sneak under under the ocean and then pop up in a cavern in the Antarctic and live peacefully away from the humans in whale bliss. Oh, and so the right. idea is that we've invaded the humpbacks so much and you know killed them and they've driven them to extinction that their only refuge is this secret underwater passage you know this cavern and we also can use it the the United States could submarines. use it right and if the Russians found out about this cavern they'll use it to launch attacks against us oh, I guess yeah. but the whales together. can communicate to each other saying come come to the cavern come follow yeah. And and we haven't really discussed that this is also just a huge 
Cold War paranoia book. <laughs> I mean, it is... Everything that is happening is Russians are in the United States. They are hiding in brownstones in major American cities. <laughs> yep. And everyone happens to know where they are, but no one's going to go kill them. But you need to shoot a grappling hook or throw a smoke bomb into their apartment and get the secrets. Dude, send in some fucking seals. Take these motherfuckers out. <laughs> no, we might need information from them. <laughs> we might need to have the answer about the whale songs. It is a, it's a preposterous book. It really is. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. It took me way too long to make the Jonah and the Whale connection, by the way. Oh, Ryder. <laughs> way too long. Oh, it was like, Ryder. I was like, codename's Jonah. What? And it was about three endings in, but I was like, oh, it's Jonah and the Whale, of course. Uh, Clever. Uh, I loved the pictures. There's some really wonderful illustrations of uh, people in 1981-era clothing, particularly a woman with a gun and a handbag on page 59. I really liked that one. Um, then there's always the pictures of Jonah himself. He's uh, Jonah's favorite spy outfit is a sport coat with a turtleneck and oh, a yeah. long gun. That's so his... where do we fall on uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books in terms of, like, compared to the other stuff we've read? Sweet Valley High and... Uh, Flowers in the Attic and I feel like other wonderful children's books. Hardy Boys is probably the most comparable to this nah. in terms of I, target audience and excitement. Well, Hardy Boys was good, so that's kind of an outlier. <laughs> uh, it was, it was it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, Hardy I, Boys yeah. was better yeah, than did, this. Did you but I guess fall at some much. point in the last six months, Julia? I don't remember the Hardy Boys as being good. Was, no, I think we did yeah, all we agree did. That, it, that the Hardy Boys accomplished what it set out to do yeah. effectively. Okay. You know? I mean... So, my point being that I think this is one of the worst written books, <laughs> but harmless, whereas harmless. Flower in the, Flowers in the Attic is actively harmful. So, <laughs> I feel... And Sweet Valley High is also actively more harmful. More positive about your codenames, John. Somehow, the directness of getting shot in the head by Russians over and over <laughs> seemed less damaging to my childhood psyche. <laughs> Were they all, I mean, were all the Choose Your Own Adventures boy-focused and action-adventure-focused? Or were there some that were, like, I don't know what, like, horseback riding, where, you know, there's less stakes? Or was it always super high stakes, you're going to die, you're going to... I remember them being super high stakes. stakes. Yeah, me too. There was was one that um, I had forgotten about that someone on Facebook reminded me of where the aliens have invaded and you get onto their ship and you have to try to disable the ship or else humanity will mm-hmm. die. And, and there's actually no good ending in that book, apparently. It's yeah, I think I was looking at, I, when I did the Wikipedia entries, they said that there's some that have funny, weird, in, in, like there's one with a, a, an ending that you can't find any other way except if you read it straight through, like a secret middle oh, ending huh. where you make it to like another planet or something that you have to just have flipped on it accidentally and it's like a secret within the book. Yeah, so there are weird. some stuff. And then I had a friend who I told, I, I, I said we were doing a Choose Your Own Adventure and I had a friend say that he he remembers, and he's not sure, so maybe we should actually verify this or look it up, but he remembers that there was, there was one author of Choose Your Own Adventure books that you knew that if he had written them, um, you always had to choose the worst decision because that was the only way to live like it was like a clear chaotic path that you just wanted to choose the dumbest thing and that would lead to the but i don't know how that's possible because i think they're all credited to edward packard i don't know No, that's not true if you look just even on the front of this book there's edward packard there's r.a montgomery there's d terman i mean who knows these these are all probably um, okay so i'm hoping one of our listeners can tell us if they have done some if they know what I'm talking about, or what my friend sounds was like about. an obsessive project for someone to map. Out yes, well, I am sure some there's a website dedicated to like oh. all the. Oh, there so has to be. Here's the thing. So here's why, I kind of. I mean, I'm not going to say I liked it, but why I just have this attitude about it. So what I do like about this is that it has a huge sense of humor. Like a lot of these mm-hmm. are really yeah. funny, and it gives That's kids true. it gives kids a lot of credit, like that they can handle being in a car, car careening off a cliff or drown or whatever. I mean, like, it is fun how it doesn't hold back from anything. It's just like, well, kid, you're dead. You know, you got shot in the face. Yeah. You, goodbye. <laughs> Good luck. You know, I like that. I like yeah. that. You head upstairs and start into the living room. A shot rings out. You fall to the floor. It's all over for you. You've been a good agent. <laughs> That's <laughs> one of the endings. <laughs> 
<laughs> At least you were a good agent before your brain matter was all over the living room floor. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder. I, I I'd love to think that there's a kid who was inspired to be a marine biologist because of this book. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sure. Like, I could be a super spy, or I could just decide to be a marine biologist. I'm just gonna retire. I have to tell you, I was surprised by the level of violence in this. Like, like I remember them being, you know, adventurous stuff, but I didn't remember, you know, so many, you know, gats to the dome. You know, that was that was really. <laughs> That was really kind of surprising for me, and it also explained a lot of my feelings uh, in or around 1981, 1982, about what I'd like to yeah, do to well, people. Well, think about all those old video games, yeah. too, like Castle, Castle Wolfenstein. Like, these, they were incredibly yeah. violent. Like, a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of kid-oriented, boy-oriented stuff is pretty awful. Yeah. Not that not a problem with it. I, you know, I it was fun to go back to read it. Um, just even getting the book, I felt like I was 12 years old or... And and that was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Just just to see this book again because as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh man, I remember wearing this thing out. And yeah. so there's a I think there's a nostalgia obviously that comes along with this that the Hardy Boys or Flowers in the Attic didn't quite possess for me because this this was actually something that you know was part of my life and that I remember being obsessive about. And I'd get them for Christmas or Hanukkah or any other um, holiday based on a miracle. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was fun. I, I, I can't imagine because of video games, like you were saying before, Ryder, that kids today, a 10 or 11 year old would read these and be as interested or satisfied as I imagine I must have been then. But, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? We'll, we're going to have an episode soon where we have, um, a high school English teacher come talk to us about teaching books to kids and maybe she'll have some insight on uh, on kids and choose your own adventure books at that point. But um, I, I don't know. I, it, it was fun, but it was also infuriatingly poorly written. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's you know, it's for it's not for us. It's for it's for kids in the eighties who didn't have the internet yet and porn. Yeah, which is us, which is our right, our which, former selves. That's exactly right. So yeah. true, Julie. Yeah. So true. Thanks, Todd. You're welcome. That little kid's still inside of you, and maybe he still might want to be a marine biologist someday. And the police want to know when he's where I put him. <laughs> <laughs>